Well, good morning. I walked in here this morning and saw the size of the crowd. I almost started having second thoughts about this, Brian. <laughs> this is not quite what I'm used to. No, that's great. Well, God is faithful. And some of the verses that my thoughts went to as I was preparing for this morning were Isaiah 55, 8. And he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And in Romans eleven thirty three, he says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. His ways are more than we can figure out. They're more than we can understand. And this morning I stand in awe and wonder at the ways of the Lord. And uh, since I was invited to uh, share a little bit about myself, if someone would have told me four years ago that I'll be here today, it would have made about as much sense as me preaching on the moon in four years from now. Uh, that's how unreal it, it would have seemed. I, I grew up in an uh, old order Amish church in Juniata County, about an hour and a half from here. And four years ago, approximately four years ago, I, I was at a point where I had been listening to, to people, I had been listening to some thinking, some preaching outside of our own circles. And I was challenged and I was starting to, to be concerned about some of the things that, you know, didn't make sense that the, that the church I was in was practicing and believing that, you know, I, I don't know if this lines up with the Word of God and, you know, it, it, it concerned me a little bit. But I, that was not enough to, to make me take any drastic steps. And then about four years ago, let's just say when a man looks into his soul and he realizes that not all is well, God can start to work. I just want you to know that this morning. And that's what happened. And I realized that I was in a place where something needed to happen. Something needed to change. I didn't know how or what, really. But I dimly knew that something needed to change. And we we talked about going or visiting, perhaps going to another church. That was a really drastic idea. You just don't do that. And so that's what we considered. And this went on for several months. 
And then in May, we visited another church. Um, it was a beachy congregation. One of the few other churches in our area. And in doing so, we, we came out, so to speak, with our intentions of maybe considering going somewhere else because we were in a place where something, we needed something. And I, I had gone from, I would say, a, a rather rebellious youth to a settled down person and, and, and I wanted to, you know, to do what's right. I wanted to have the right doctrines. But at this point, the, the opposition got, got pretty strong and it, it, it was pretty obvious I was not, even though I had tried to prepare for this, I was not prepared and I did not, I was not able to handle this. I, the doors opened for me to have a conversation with a brother and he asked me, um, he was out of the area and so he just asked me, he heard about what was going on, he said, so what are you looking for? And I tried to explain what we're looking for, a church that is is uh, intentional about keeping all of the New Testament teachings rather than just doing the way we've always done things. And he asked me, so how do you feel about the new birth? How do you feel about the new birth? And I tried to explain my understanding of the new birth. And he just, and, and when I'd done that, he just shared his testimony. This was over the phone. And when he was finished, uh, we kind of entered, ended the conversation and I began to, it, it began to dawn on me that maybe there's something that I haven't experienced. Maybe this is, maybe I need to look for something that I have not yet experienced. And so I, so I entered on the, on a journey of, am I born again or am I not? I need to know. That took most of the summer and it was a, it was a rather difficult time and I'll share uh, maybe a little bit more at, at the end then. Uh, but there's a lot of detail that, that I, you know, would just have to stay back for now. But I, I searched and I sought and, and I questioned, you know, what, am I born again and just doubting it? I think many of us come to a place like that sometimes. Well, do we really know the Lord. And what I came back to is I don't have 
the joy and the, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. I don't have that joy. And I kept going back to hearing testimonies of people who had been born again and were willing to share their testimony and to, to have it recorded that people could listen to it. What a blessing. What a blessing that was. And I, I just, I was, I realized that there is something that they've experienced and I don't have it, but how do you get it? And no one could tell me, do, do step one, two, three, do this, 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 and it'll happen. They said, you need to repent, you need to believe. I, I, I do believe. Yeah, I, I believe. So, so, so why am I not getting this? I have, rep- I have repented. I would, I would repent. The best I knew. I would confess everything. I confessed everything that I had ever done and nothing happened. Nothing changed. And I, it was, it was difficult. One evening, uh, several faithful brothers that many of you probably would know came to to see me, and and they had been, you know, they had been there before. And we we read, we studied the Bible, and we prayed. And there was there was one question that struck me and that was of sins in the past that I had confessed as as an Amish man in the Amish church but I had not repented before the Lord and and I realized that wait a minute these things in my past are still on my account. And as we prayed, conviction began to fall upon me. It, um, and I repented again. This went on for a long time. I prayed, they would pray. But I had determined that I, I had been told and assured that when you're born again, you will know it. Okay, I want to know it. I, I'm not going to be satisfied until I know. And nothing was happening that I, I could know. We went through a lot of things. I went through a lot of things uh, that evening, and I was I was down and I was out, and nothing happened. And I said, "What? What? What can it be? You know, what's standing in the way? What? What can it be?" What have I not confessed or what have I not surrendered?
I was, I was at the end, and I had, and I was, and I was, you know, I was determined that that I'm going to to get this prize, and it came to my mind that I have not surrendered my own will. My, I, I had, in years past, I had changed many of my ways by willpower. And that, that can be a, a useful thing when you, when you discipline yourself and you have willpower. And I had disciplined myself. But I needed to surrender my will. And I, I said, that's one thing that I cannot defeat by my own willpower, and that is my own will. That is my own willpower, because then it would still be my own will. And I said, I can't do it. I said, I can't do it. I'm defeated. That was the end. And then... Then, the question was, do you believe? And this time, my answer came from down here and not from up here. I said, yes, I believe. And the wells of salvation opened up. It's difficult to share some of these things. They are very real. I'm sorry. But I'm grateful to God for what he allowed me to experience. That has given me a, how do I say, a commitment and a dedication. Had it been easy, I don't know, you know, things that come easy, maybe I wouldn't have valued it as much. I want to get on um, with uh, the message here that I feel the Lord has has given me. I shared it at home in our church. Uh, 
it, it'll be some of the same same things, but many things uh, I did change. I had new inspirations here. There's a verse that's that's become very uh, it's become very precious to me. It's in Second Timothy three sixteen. It's the other three sixteen. Second Timothy three sixteen. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we look at this verse many times and we, and what we see is that the scriptures are inspired by God. That's important. That's important to know, it's important to believe. But it goes on and says it's profitable for doctrine and how we love our doctrines. To have them all right. And it it goes on further and it says for reproof. And that word I believe means it shows you where you stand in relation to what God's Word is teaching and asking, commanding. This is what's commanded. This is where you're at. It reproves us. That's not so popular to receive that reproof. And then for correction, and it doesn't just leave us there, in that situation, but it corrects, it shows us, it brings us to, to repentance. And then it says, for instruction in righteousness. And that's the phrase that has become my burden. That we receive instruction from the Word of God. When an issue comes up, our, our natural tendency is to, is to consider what's going to be acceptable in the church, in the culture. What would my friends do? What would my parents do and some of those things may be good, but it's important that we know what does the Bible say and that we receive instruction in righteousness. I referred to a verse there at the beginning, Isaiah 55, 8. My, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Let's look at the context of that passage in Isaiah 55. And my topic this morning is on going to be on forgiveness. And the the title is Practicing Forgiveness According to Christ's Example. 
And I, I come down here and most of you are strangers and I'm, I'm thinking, you, you, you probably don't even need this, but I, I know that it's, it's something that, uh, many of God's people, uh, struggle with at times. I think it's an important thing that we need to, to learn. And it's something that, it's, it's one of the, of the things that, that God has given me, uh, to share on. So I want to, to share a little bit on that this morning. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Return to the Lord and he will have mercy. Return to God and he will abundantly pardon. And that's when he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. And we, and we may look at that and we praise God that you are so merciful, but what's it saying about our ways? What is that saying about our thoughts? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There was uh, one of the commentaries on this verse uh, commented on, on what God is saying here. He says, my disposition is vastly differing from yours. This is just someone's ideas on what God is saying in this verse. If any man provoke or injure you, especially if he do it greatly and frequently and maliciously, you are very slow and backward to forgive him. And if you do or seem to forgive and promise to forget and pass it by, yet you retain a secret grudge in your hearts, and upon the least occasion and slight offense, you forget your promise, and you are soon weary with forgiving and prone to revenge yourselves upon him. But it is not so with me, for I am slow to anger and ready to forgive all true penitence, how many and great numbers their sins may be. My promises of mercy and pardon shall be infallibly made good to them, and therefore you need not fear to come to me or to find mercy and acceptance with me. God's ways are such that we, we, we never need fear. Go to Him and to seek Him. For He will pardon us and He will forgive us if we repent. Is that the way we are? Are people afraid to come to us because they're afraid that we will say, oh, I forgive you. But down inside we'll carry just a little bit of resentment and then maybe five years later something happens again and it all comes back out. He's saying here, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. What I want for us this morning is to look at the instructions and the examples of forgiveness in Scripture and God's call for us to follow the example of Christ. I want to talk a little bit about what I see as different levels 
the different levels of forgiveness. And of course we have no forgive no forgiveness or not forgiving. Someone uh you know does something and we and we can look around, we, we see situations where that happens, hopefully not in the church, but we can see that happening. Someone Maybe causes an accident, they get taken to court and, you know, make sure that everything is completely paid for, get, make sure justice is served. No forgiveness at all. A crime is done, sometimes, you know, people will take them to court and make sure that they get the maximum penalty. No forgiveness. Then there's the forgiving that we can do as humans. You know, we don't have to be Christians or born again to forgive people on this level. Society as we know it would not be able to function if people couldn't forgive, at least on that level. Modern psychology will, will tout the benefits of forgiveness, but it's for your benefit. It's so that they tell us that we need to forgive so that it, it releases us to get on with our life. Is that really all the benefit that we're, that there is to forgiveness? I think not. Then there's forgiving as Christ forgave. And that's what we're called to do. And we'll, we'll, we'll explore these, these levels and and see if we can learn uh, together this morning. Uh, let's look at... You don't have to turn there. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just read this uh, for the sake of time. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. A command in... The Bible instruction that we are to forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave. Colossians 3.12, if you want to take notes. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also so you also must do. So there we have the standard or the level that we are called we are called to. This type of forgiveness takes the Holy Spirit, it takes the power of God, it takes the grace of God to walk in that. I want to make that clear this morning. There is a level of forgiveness that we can do as humans level that takes supernatural power. I want to just touch a little bit on the on the uh, account of Joseph and how he forgave his brothers. I draw a little bit from that this morning. It's in Genesis chapter 50. Give you a moment to get there. Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 
start reading in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why did Joseph weep? He had, I believe, he had forgiven them. And, and, and he went, and he goes on to say that, uh, how, how you meant evil, but God meant it for, but why did he weep? I think he wept because he was remembering. We can forgive, but the pain can continue. That's okay. Joseph had forgiven his brothers, but when, when they asked for forgiveness, just that reminder and, and thinking on it again, he had to weep. He was torn from his home, went through probably some of the most traumatic experiences that a man can experience. And it was painful, but he forgave them. I think it was given to him to be able to do this, to be a type of of Jesus. He, he represents a Jesus in, in many ways. In Jesus Christ, we have the perfect example of forgiveness. When he was hanging on the cross, suffering as a man, he, he, he was here as a human as a human, as a man, he, he felt the pain just as we would. And he said, Luke twenty three thirty four, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. What was it they didn't know? They knew they were crucifying him. But they didn't know they were crucifying the Lord of glory. They didn't know they were participating in the worst injustice of the history, in the history of the universe. And that's where, that's what, that's what hurts when there's an injustice done to us. When someone does us wrong. And Jesus is praying to his Father. His Father is the ultimate Authority at the very top. There is no higher authority. And Jesus is asking him, forgive them for they know not what they do. Asking for mercy instead of justice for his murders. Stephen did the same in Acts chapter 7. At the very end of Acts chapter 7, verse 60. 
he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He knew it was sin. He knew what they were doing was wrong. And he knew that they were guilty of sin, but he said, forgive them. He forgave them already. And he was able to pray for their forgiveness by the power of God. The Holy Spirit was in him. We have the testimony of the scriptures that he was full of the Holy Ghost. We, all, we also have an example uh, in the martyr's mirror that I thought uh, was just amazing. Uh, for those who are taking notes, it's on page 653 if you have a martyr's mirror. And just briefly to summarize here, uh, several people were captured and because of their faith in Jesus were sentenced to be publicly strangled and burned at the stake. And then here is the direct quote from the book. They were brought out with their arms tied together and coming to the place where they were to be offered up. They fell upon their knees and prayed to God. When they had arisen, the executioner asked their forgiveness for what he was about to do and they kindly forgave him according to the teachings of Christ. Can, can, can we even begin to wrap our minds around that? Someone just He's within a minute of executing and he's saying, can you forgive me for what I'm going to do to you? We have, we have similar circumstances. They're probably not asking for forgiveness, but we have, we have circumstances in the world where people are being executed for their faith. And I, I believe that many of those, if true believers, are going to death without a grudge. And we would like to think that we would do the same. But we need to cultivate that type of attitude before we ever get to that place, I believe. And I'm guilty of this myself. If we're driving down the road and someone pulls out in front of us, and we get upset, we probably don't, we probably wouldn't cut it, that we would forgive our executioner. I want to look at an example in the scriptures of what I believe illustrates very well the forgiveness that we can do as humans. I hope I have time for this. Let's turn to Second Samuel chapter 16. And it's the story of David and Shimei. Second Samuel chapter 16. And I'll start reading in verse 5. And it's been a, f- a few months since I checked my 
pronunciation on these names, so I may not have them all right today. Now, when King David came to Bahirim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also, Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. A man from uh, from the tribe of of Benjamin, and he resented David that he had become king in the place of Saul and Saul's sons. And now David's running from Absalom and look, he, he says, you're, you, you're just getting what you had coming. And he really laid into him. Part two of the story is in chapter 19 of the same book. Second Samuel 19, 16. And the story changes a bit. Absalom has lost and David's on his way back. And he is, David and his men have been victorious. And now things look a little different to this man Shimei. And it says, And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Bahiram, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Verse the second part of verse 18. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And he, then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the, the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today, of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? Do I, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him, he forgave him. 
turn to First Kings chapter 2. I know you probably know this story, but we're going to go through it. First Kings chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 8. And David is giving his last instructions to Solomon, his son. And he said, and he's, he's finishing, he's, he's wrapping up his instructions and taking care of some unfinished business. And he said, verse 8, And see, you have with you Shimei the Sekira, a Benjamite from Bahiram, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Kill that man. Something deep within his heart. David, a man after God's own heart, he was still a human. And he carried in his heart a resentment towards that man the rest of his life, I believe. And, at, and his very last recorded words are to kill that man. Move down a little further to verse 36, and we'll see how it how it uh, ended. This is now King Solomon, verse 36, chapter 2. Then the king sent and called for Shimei, and said to him, "Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head." And Shimei said to the king, The saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. It would appear to me that that Solomon didn't feel good about just going out and having the man executed since his father had forgiven, had forgiven him. So he put him under house arrest. Verse 39, Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away. And uh, to summarize here, he went and brought them back. Solomon was told about it and dropped down to verse 42. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, the word I have heard is good. Then why have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? And then here it gets really interesting. The king said moreover to Shimei, You know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness upon your own head. You know, when we forgive as, as we are a, to the level that we are able as, as humans without God's help, and we carry that resentment, and then some little thing, five years down the road, three years down the road, ten years down the road, triggers it, and all at once it just, it just comes up. Remember back when you, said so and so and and this is what Solomon is is saying all all that wickedness and he it, it just all came 
bubbling out again. And he had him executed. To me, this, this illustrates or, or this shows the way that, that we're natured. And it, you know, we have the promise in the Bible that we can be partakers of the divine nature. And we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a better way. We, every one of us has our own story of things that, you know, maybe we thought were past, and then they're not. There is a better way. I want to encourage us in that this morning. Um, I think next we'll go to Matthew 18, and we'll look at a very important teaching of the Lord Jesus on this very subject. Matthew 18, verse 21, after after he had talked about Reconciliation between brothers. Peter, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? When can I say enough is enough? I am done. When is that? When can we say enough is enough? That's what Peter was asking here in, in, in our words. How often do I need to keep on forgiving him? When is enough enough? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. I'll read the next few verses here. He, he then shifted to a parable to expound on this teaching and to, to, to illustrate it with a story, what he's trying to say. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. It's literally saying he went and throttled him, grabbed him by the throat and throttled him, saying, Now pay me what you owe. Just a word on on how much he was owed. You know, many, 
Many commentators will say it was a trifling sum. It was not. We have other uh, places in Scripture where the word this word is used in, in the in the King James. It says I think penny or pence. I have the New King James, and it uses the the word denarii, which is more like the original Greek. And it we have. Uh, the uh, the story where where the man went out and he hired laborers for a day for one denarii, and there's other instances. For example, the the that flask of uh, ointment that the woman broke and or poured over Jesus' feet was worth three hundred denarii, three times what this servant owed. And I don't think that Judas was upset over three times a trifling sum. This was a serious amount of money. If we take this as a hundred days wages, it's not something, you know, it's not near as big as the 10,000 talents. It's, it's small compared to that, but it is not nothing. The, the sin and the offenses that have been committed against us are not trifling things. Let's not try to make people feel guilty by saying it's it's nothing. You need to you need to forgive and forget because it's nothing compared to the ten thousand talents. It's it is something, though they pale in comparison to the debt we owe to the Lord. They are in fact serious matters, and they are real, and we have been hurt. That that's why it's hard. We've been wounded too deep for words sometimes. It's it's real. Part of my own, and I'll share a little bit now, uh, part of my own testimony is when I was searching and I was trying to get the new birth, I wanted to be born again. And, and, and the opposition had, you know, was pouring in and things that were very hard, very difficult, some relationships were very difficult and I had, I had thought that I had moved past these things. They were passed. They were in a little box and, you know, I moved on with my life. Now when this thing comes out in the open that maybe we're going to another church and the opposition starts to, to rise up and these things, hurtful things get said and all this came pouring out. It, it just came pouring out. It was devastating. It was. And I knew it, it's a problem. I, I need to forgive these people. It, it wasn't just one person. It was like, let's say, several people that, you know, I was were close. It wasn't just someone I saw once a year either. And I knew I needed to forgive. Why can't I forgive? That's why I can't get born again. I need to forgive. And I don't know how many times I wept before the Lord. I want to forgive. But you know, I, I couldn't. I, I, I tried the best I could, but there was still something there. And in the end, I know that's not really why, what was holding me back. But the wonderful thing is, when I was born again that evening, and it took me 
a, a day or two to even realize this. But all once I realized, those things are gone. Those things are gone. I can look at those people and feel totally different. It's just, it, it's just not there. So I want to propose to you this morning that we cannot give what we have not received. You know, this, that's my own testimony. The way I understand this scripture, this, this servant had, had no ability to even forgive his fellow servant before he had been forgiven himself. And the verses that we looked at uh, in the beginning, it says, Forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. In that way, it's assuming that you have been forgiven. We can't forgive as Christ did unless we have been forgiven in Christ. So first, we need to make sure that we have been forgiven. If we have been forgiven, we are to forgive others also. So the first thing is to be certain that we have been forgiven. If, if we were to go back to that passage in Isaiah 55, it would, and go on for another verse, it would speak of the hills and the mountains and the trees clapping and rejoicing, and that's how it looks when you walk around and you know that your sins have been forgiven. Wow. Every, everything's happy. If we have been forgiven, we are to forgive others also. And it doesn't happen automatically. We have to make that choice. If you feel you are failing in this area, I want to encourage you. Don't condemn yourself. This takes the grace of God. Seek the Lord and you will find help. Seek and you shall find. I praise God that what I sought after, I found. And it doesn't mean that it's that it was, you know, I've, I've had to go do it again, do it again. And it doesn't mean that the hurts aren't, aren't real. There are some things that, if I were to share them, it would be very difficult. But I hold no, by the grace of God, I hold no grudge. Don't let feelings of pain and hurting confuse you and burden with guilt. Because this can continue for a long time after you have forgiven someone. One way to know if we have truly forgiven someone is if we have no desire to see justice served. If we have no desire to see them pay, we have no satisfaction when they, when they get what they have coming. But we pray for them rather and we want to see them forgiven. Then we know that we have forgiven them in the way that Christ gave example. The end of Matthew chapter 18. We know how it went with that servant. The last verse says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Human forgiveness refrains, restraints, Human forgiveness, in human forgiveness, we will refrain from throttling our fellow man. Christ-like forgiveness releases them from the heart. 
what they did. It doesn't excuse what, what was done. And it doesn't take, always take away the hurt and the pain. But it is possible, I believe, to release. And in, in closing, I just want to, 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 to share this thought. You know, if we are experiencing some physical pain and we go to the doctor and he says, you have an infection and you need to take, and I will prescribe this medicine to you and it will make you better. It will probably help you feel better, make you better. We probably won't, won't, wouldn't doubt it unless we were concerned about the side effects of those medicines, but for the most part, we, we probably wouldn't doubt his word. You know, we also have a prescription for healing in the word. It's found in James chapter 5. It's just a little, it's just one sentence. James chapter 5, verse 16, you know where it's at. Confess your trespasses or your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let's take God at his word. Confess to one another where we're failing in this area. Sometimes it, needs, it, it may need to be to the person that, that has hurt us. And I would just, you know, I would encourage, pray for one another, brother for brother, sister for sister, and husband and wife. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love towards us. Thank you that we can be forgiven in Jesus Christ and that we can be partakers of that divine nature as well. To walk in forgiveness, in humility and love towards one another, so that we may experience the fullness of the joy that is in store for us. Father, I pray for us here this morning, for the congregation here. I don't know them, I don't know their situations, but I know if they are alive and breathing, then they have been hurt. That's the human experience. And so I pray that wherever these situations may be, and I don't need to know where they are, that healing can take place. Release, confession, and restoration. And I ask for this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.